listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you're interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. It's about time we got around to another Digital Noise episode, now featuring John Golson. New and improved for 2024. Wait, Digital Noise or John Golson? Uh, both. <laughs> digital Noise by proxy of my own improvement. Well, so do you count your own improvement as being you finally gotten to go to Disney? That's some of it. Is that an, <laughs> is that an improvement? I would call it an improvement in your life. Man, we, I saw you at the gathering and you were, I brought it up and that's just all we talked about for like 30 minutes straight. Cause I'm I also a Disney I exhausted fan. everything I had to say about <laughs> Disney World and then I left. <laughs> it's like, I have nothing else to add. Bye. You're like ended with like, oh yeah. And we're going again in a few months. <laughs> like, oh, that's a secret. Yeah. You that's can, by the way, the cat, just push him off oh the couch. Gosh. Literally he, just, he's he, like the minute you started recording, you started biting the back of my head. Yeah, it's cause you're talking and he thinks you're talking to him. Oh, Oh, yeah, I am. I'm he telling does, him about Disney World. I'm going to take him. He doesn't understand people like how can commu- none of them do how communication work. They just assume if they hear your voice, you must be trying to summon them. Yeah. See? <laughs> what, what's your favorite ride at the park? Oh, man, it varies. Uh, and, and I've only gone on it once. But Guardians of the Galaxy is really fucking good. It's really good. Yeah, it's a good length too. like yeah. that was that was the disappointing thing about Tron, which is very similar is like Tron ends a little bit too quick you want mm. a little bit more from tron yeah and guardians I, was like a nice good lengthy yeah roller coaster ride guardians is one of those coasters if there had been no line i would have without even thinking about it gone right back on it again yeah you know like yes please <laughs> what's your what's your least favorite ride oh i don't know probably one of the ones in the magic kingdom just the experiential shit like, it's like did you ride like peter pan fun. oh no like it's, it's a small world i do not care for yeah at all like See, i do not have nostalgia for that one now, i do have nostalgia for the peter pan one because okay. that effect of we're flying over london is still kind of cool you know i'll have to look at that i didn't ride peter pan okay peter pan is pretty is of them is is probably my of the old old really old school ones no but like in terms of like what my all-timer is it's always gonna be the haunted mansion yeah which is a silly ride but i have so much affection and nostalgia for it it was a lot of haunted mansion's fun has a fun tone and and when you ride it for the first time you don't necessarily know everything that's around the corner yeah uh small world i small world's a little too long yeah, but, and it, but the thing with Small World is it's so, from an aesthetic standpoint, it's so tied to graphic design from a very specific late fifties period. Yeah, that like I I enjoyed the like color and geometry of a very specific time in graphic design. Fair enough. Like I hope they never update it. I like that it's like trapped in amber for that 
that time, all the geometry and colors. And I don't think they can stuff. really. I mean, yeah. it's one of those like, I mean, it's one of the most well-known rides in any park in the world. Yeah, even though it's kind of boring. <laughs> uh, and then, but my least favorite ended up being because even though I, I could appreciate like. I could appreciate the chintziness and the aesthetics of Small World. Mm-hmm. Although I don't think the dolls are very appealing looking no. outside of their costume. Yeah. But like I'm talking about like you turn a corner and you enter one room and it's like it's sort of overwhelming with color and sound. Mm-hmm. And then you after that initial bit of like, wow, oh wow, then you're in that room for like five minutes too long yeah. <laughs> before yeah. you leave that room. Uh Jungle Cruise was Jungle Cruise yeah. was the one that it's I was like, this, total this sucks. And they're like, No, well the thing about Jungle Cruise is it's the the skippers are always really funny, and our skippers, our skippers jokes like, and yeah. we weren't the only people not laughing. It was basically a boat full of people not laughing. Yeah, at like the skipper just like blazing through a bunch of puns with all of the energy of somebody telling you they're special in a yeah. restaurant. <laughs> right. No, I mean I've only like I've been a lot in the last like ten years or so to Disney, but before yeah. that it was it, it hadn't been since I was like a teenager and i have only run i've ridden almost all the rides there more than once in the last 10 years yeah not jungle cruise (laughs) did i the same experience i was like wow this is lame (laughs) i i got so excited coming back i actually watched the eddie murphy haunted mansion oh good lord (laughs) it was terrible it's absolutely terrible i kind of like the new one i didn't watch the new one i kind of like the new one i I was like are these any good is this like jungle cruise any good is is country bears any good i already have opinions about the pirates if i remember correctly the jungle cruise movie is the one with the rock right yeah it wasn't terrible. It's another one where you're like, this certainly is not something I'm going to return to anytime soon, but it's not awful. Not the way the Eddie Murphy Haunted Mansion one is. Yeah. And yeah. did you see Country Bears? No, I never saw Country Bears. I watched the trailer coming, coming <laughs> back from Disney World. I didn't go see the Country Bears. They were closing them down. Oh. They're closed now. They're revamping it, doing doing an all-new mu- musical well, review. There's They're adding a new segment to the Haunted Mansion as well, which is interesting. Oh. There's apparently going to be like a bar that you go through hmm. at some point. Interesting. Yeah. Like first up, real upgrade to it, other than their Christmas changing it into Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. But, uh, but first real upgrade since I don't even know when. Maybe ever. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah it was a good time, and yeah. um, I finally stopped dreaming about it. That's that was good. So. <laughs> and that was your first time, right? Yeah. And we uh, went to all four parks. Wow. How many days? Uh, we were there. We uh, five five park days. Okay. We were there six days. One day was just like Disney Springs and like yeah. like bopping around. We went to that, some resorts. That's fun to do as yeah. well. The some of the cool stuff to do are in the resorts. Like Trader Vic's is yeah. really cool at the Polynesian Resort. And there's some really great restaurants like sort of scattered around the yeah. park and places. And we did Disney that Springs has got that amazing cookie place. It's just like oh my god, these are the sickest cookies I've ever had. Um, I didn't tell you this at the gathering, but uh, we rode this. So I don't. Do I, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of heights. Hmm. Um, so you didn't do Tower of Terror. I did Tower of Terror. Got stuck on Tower of Terror. Oh no. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of heights in regards to like, it's very specific. Um, like, I I don't like Ferris wheels, for instance. I don't like being in a little cage mm. and rotating up to the top and stopping and feeling every bit of wind and tremor of the ferris wheel right i've I seen find... too many movies where the guy in the top spot is like 
you, know, you see the screws start to come loose. I, <laughs> I'm more terrified of a Ferris wheel than I am like a big roller coaster, for instance. Like okay. I can ride a large roller coaster. I have a lot of anxiety about like a Ferris wheel. Well, I, I actually am kind of there with you. I don't particularly like Ferris wheels because I'm for, first off, I'm like, well, it isn't really a ride. It's just a view. And I'm okay with, uh, I don't need to spend this yeah. much time just for that. Especially when most of the time you're someplace like, yeah, I get it. You know, I don't, I, I, I know what the park looks like. Um, Any- but roller coaster, you're so distracted by the velocity and yeah. the twists and turns, you have no time to really spend thinking about how high up you are. Yeah. You know, the other thing, so I kind of sucked it up and rode on the, uh, I don't know what they call it. It's like oh, these, the uh, p- park. To park transport thing? Yeah, not the monorail, but right. the sky sky tram thing yeah. with the basically metal baskets on a wire that <laughs> go from one one area to another. And I was like, okay, I can suck it up and ride one of those. And I can't remember why it was it was to get from point A to point B, and it wasn't so bad. It reminded me a little bit of like a helicopter ride that I took in my youth because mm-hmm. it was like it was high, but it wasn't like. It wasn't like crazy high. Like yeah. when you're up there, it's sort of just like it, it just it reminded me of that chopper ride. Except that we got freaking stuck on that thing. Oh no! And it broke down, <laughs> and we were up there, and we were up there with another family. Okay, and the kid in the other family had an explosive laugh, and kept shaking the thing. And that family oh, kept making God. jokes about falling, about the thing falling and off the like, fire and dying. What? I had my eyes shut and my hands and fists and mentally was just going, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, <laughs> shut up, until we started moving again. Then we started moving. I immediately, we had to transfer to another one. And I went to somebody and was like, hey. Not, not midair, right? No. Well, we, no, we got to the next stop and we, we got out and I cool. went up to somebody. I was like, hey, is there any way to get to this place from here without getting on this sky thing? And he was like, no, you'd have to go to this resort and this resort and this resort to get to wherever. I can't remember where we were going. And I was like, okay. And he was like, why? What's the matter? And I said, and I told him the story. I was like, I am already not crazy about heights. I wrote it because of convenience. We got stuck up there. I would have been fine had the other family not been uh, had obnoxious, a, had a gallows <laughs> sense of humor and a kid that was like scream laughing. It was the laughing really that was bothering me the most. I just wanted to be quiet. Yeah. And they, put, me, they put us in a private thing. What? He was oh. like, oh yeah, come here. And he was like, well, and this again, that Disney customer service thing they talk about. Yeah. He was like, okay, if that's the issue, I can take care of you. He was like, hold on. And he went to the other person. He said something to them. They pulled one up and stopped it. Then let me get in with my family and closed it so that nobody else nice. could enter. And then we rewrote it by ourselves. And I tell you, Disney does, in fact, treat you well if you know how, what to ask for. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's one of the things I really like about that park. Uh, it's there's someone paying attention to absolutely everything. You know, yeah. like there's very rarely trouble of any real kind because they squash it so goddamn fast. You know, it really, they want to preserve the illusion and they want the safety. Well, I mean, it's not an illusion. It is one of the safest places in the world to yeah. go. But, you know, um, I love that about it. You can go there and just fucking relax. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Anyway. This is not the theme park podcast, although I guarantee you, John, and I could go on for like an, 
good two, three hours just talking about aspects of stuff he did at Disney. Yeah, for part two of this conversation, I'm trying to do the math in my head. I do about an episode a month, so come back in about two, three episodes, <laughs> and uh, I'll be back with the next with that other uh, Disney trip. Oh, yeah, you'll have film. gone on your, your second trip. <laughs> yeah, see what yeah. it's like. Give then. me about three episodes, and I'll, I'll you know, that's tune in for part two. Well, we have some home release movies to talk about, as is uh, De Rigueur, Digital Noise. And we're going to start off with the new Arrow 4K release of Conan the Barbarian. Which... My new scale is to rate things. Is it better than Jungle Cruise or worse than Jungle Cruise? <laughs> <laughs> no more pick of the week. Just <laughs> just <laughs> better. Well, but almost everything would be better than Jungle <laughs> Even some of the movies you've been like, oh, man, this is one of my least favorite couple, movies. There's there. a couple in this stack. Let's get into it. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. All right. Fair enough. Well, not Conan the Barbarian, I assume. Because for men of a certain age, Conan the Barbarian is almost unassailable, <laughs> you know. And you go every time I watch it, I go, "It's not that it's like anywhere near a perfect movie because it's certainly not. It's just perfect for what it's supposed to be, you know." There's um, nothing quite like it in tone, and it has no. so many imitators. <sighs> Sorry, I forgot. Oh. Our, our our Alexa likes to tell you at five o'clock. Hey, it's Friday. Aren't you happy? <laughs> and I have yet to figure out how to turn it. Well, off. unless Alexa has an opinion about Conan the Barbarian, <laughs> um, watch it. She probably does. <laughs> there's yeah. There's nothing like it. There's a lot of movies like it, but there's nothing like it. Well, yeah. There was. I mean, it certainly um had a. There was a big trend upwards of Barbarian movies after it, but most of them bear much more resemblance to Conan the Destroyer than Conan the Barbarian, which is, you know, directed by the great John Milius. Um, Conan was, you know, it was Pulp Fiction, but it was highly regarded Pulp Mm. Fiction, and I think it had reached sort of a, a, a zenith of uh of being regarded at the point in the 70s uh when they started putting together this movie uh which came out in 1982 um i always forget that uh oliver stone wrote the first draft of the script for this then milius came in and did some rewriting um the very early work for stone but uh you know even with arnold schwarzenegger this he was relatively new to acting at this point this is one of his very first movies yeah, I can't think. I don't think he headlined anything before this. Well, there was the Pumping Iron, right? Yeah, I think that was before this. I mean, I know people had an awareness of him because he'd been in the villain, and he'd been. Oh, in, I uh, loved the villain, man. Yeah. I loved it so much, and I, I don't think it's available anywhere. Yeah, so <laughs> so people had people knew who he was in the same way that like a few years ago people knew who John Cena was without him having like a big movie. You know, if right. you think about John Cena, like let's say fifteen years ago. Where, like, people had an awareness of who he was, but he wasn't really famous for any particular one thing. Other than, well, I mean, WWE. But, I right. mean, so Schwarzenegger was in the same boat where it's like, people knew who he was. Yeah, well, He was famous for one thing, which was bodybuilding. Yeah, but- I mean, he had been in two movies already at this point about bodybuilding, Pumping Iron and The Comeback. And then uh, there was a movie called Stay Hungry, uh, which I've still never seen, but it was more of an array of people. And then he was Hercules and Hercules in New York. Terrible. Which, and dumb. Terrible movie, but got a huge wide release and was much discussed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think he was kind of people were making fun of him because he is horrendous at like at that point hard to cut through accent. He's he's and dubbed terrible with acting. Who sounds like this? In oh, the, that's right. He yeah. was dubbed in that. Yeah, and it was even worse. You should have just let him talk. Uh, but Conan, 
he was his voice and his sort of like non-acting acting was kind of perfect for the part and certainly his physique was mm. but i think what makes it work is it's it's not wildly comic booky there's comic book aspects to it right and i think almost all those other sword and the sorcerer and the barbarians and all sorts of stuff it's all sort of very goofy like we're not really taking this seriously this is the one where you're like this feels like the the early howard stories you know uh like it's almost plausible <laughs> there's a there's a weird aspect to the shape of the screenplay as well where it's like it's got it's an oddly shaped screenplay it doesn't it doesn't follow like a traditional five act type structure it's sort of just like it's it's got one driving <laughs> thing about revenge but the it's almost like interconnected set pieces that sort of tell a legend of conan you know, the voiceover basically sets it up as being almost like an epic poem or some ancient uh, writing that someone is, like, reading back to you. Right. So it's almost like this mythology, and it's like these little stories about the myths of Conan that tell sort of, like, one life, but it, it's so weird. It, and, and I don't want to oversell it as weird if you've never seen it. It's just singular is maybe the word I'm looking for. It's yeah. so singular. There's not really anything else like it even the movies that try to be like it and i was really thinking about that yesterday as, as i was watching it and certainly watching it back to back with destroyer where i was like this is like so pure like just primal pure muscle the score the way the movie looks again the acting and and schwarzenegger i think and we'll get into this when we get into destroyer I don't know how he was directed in this, but there is a night and day difference between his performance in Barbarian and his performance in Destroyer. Well, because Destroyer, they clearly are going for comedy a lot, uh, like goofier sequences. And Barbarian, outside of like maybe one or two small bits, is not. I think I think a lot of that has to do. My guess and is that a lot of it has to do with preparedness. There's a lot of stuff in Destroyer that feels like people were told the minute they showed up on set what they needed to do or someone was shouting at them look to your left look to your right react look scared jump right. and it's like you don't get that sense in in barbarian you you get this lived in sense that they had discussions about what they were shooting that day yeah <laughs> and then and then people were able to ingest it and then carry it out Whereas Destroyer, it feels like somebody sat in a makeup chair and did makeup and wardrobe for like five hours. <laughs> they came on a set and in about two minutes, they said, okay, we're doing this today. <laughs> yeah. And then were shouted directions while they were on screen. There's there's a part in the mirror part where Schwarzenegger's fighting the, the mirror monster and Destroyer. Right. Where I swear, you, you, there, you don't hear the audio, but I swear you can see someone basically like yelling... Now look to your left. Now look to your right. <laughs> right. Now turn around fast. It's like, it's so, it's not something that's been, it's not acted, it's instructed. Uh, uh, it just doesn't feel, it doesn't feel the same to me at I all. I definitely think as well, like, you know, the writing alone makes a big difference here. Like I said, Oliver Stone, who's a famously a big uh, 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 Howard fan, and John Milius, who's directing it, who makes serious films. Yeah. You're like... Okay, they wanted to make a film that was, you know, despite, you know, James Earl Jones as a ridiculous snake villain that you could take seriously based on the material. My parents rented this all the time when I was a kid, Chris. Dude, like, it, it was my parents so rented popular. This all the time. I remember. And I kind of could watch it and couldn't watch it depending on what their mood was at any given time. I, I, 
it was so popular. Like, and still is with, like I said, a man of a certain age, yeah. as it were. But, um, I, it was one of those films I had to grow into because when I first saw it when I was younger, I was like, it's fine. I'm more of a Terminator guy, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and still am, but I, I like it more and more as I get older. I like I said, the plot here, it's like him and he sort of, a, each one of these, like, hey, I'm building a team. <laughs> you know? And, uh, he's got like his, his friend who's a, uh, his fellow thief. Because he's kind of a thief barbarian multi-class, really, Conan. And then uh, he finds a hottie warrior that he kind of has a thing for. And they basically decide to steal a valuable gem that belongs to the set cult, snake cult. And unfortunately, snake cult isn't too happy about it. And problems arise. And before you know it, there's death and then vengeance. Um, setting up sort of the, as well, part of his arc in the second one, Conan the Destroyer which is written by comic book guys uh, who Roy Thomas and Jerry Conway, who were the guys actually at, at points writing the Conan comic book, mm-hmm. which there is just, I like the Conan comic book a lot, but there is a wealth of difference in its style between it and the actual Robert Howard novels. Um, and you can tell watching Destroyer, you're like, this is based on the comics. The first movie is based on the books, yeah. you know? Um, but yeah, the second one where they have to accompany the, Really not yet an actress, Olivia Diabo. <laughs> oh, man. Like, everybody... And this is part of why I put the blame on the director. Like, everybody sucks. Yeah. Everybody sucks. But she spectacularly oh, sucks. Oh, I think Tracy Walter is, like, horrible. And and I, to the point where I'm like, I don't know how he got a job other than... I know he's Jack Nicholson's best friend in real life. Oh, I didn't know that. But, like... His delivery, where he just says things like this, well, kind of like, that's kind of he's how, so bad in that, that movie. That's kind of his style, though. He's like I was thinking of him and Repo Man going, John Wayne was a Nazi. You know, he's so he's so bad in, in Destroyer, and I don't know that I don't know that like anybody knows what they're doing. Like, I, think, I don't think I think. It's like, I think the only person that acquits themselves nicely is Wilt Chamberlain. Oh, I think Grace Jones. But I think even she's her, like, I, think, I don't she's think this she has ra- a handle on it. She's like this, she is like, okay, you're like a barbarian, like, barbarian woman. And she's like, I'm going to take this yeah. to 11. There's, there's an idea in improv, which is like, make a choice. Mm-hmm. Like, don't do nothing, make a choice. Yeah. And so for her, I think it, I think her being left, I, I don't know that they were left to their own devices, but they everybody feels like they were, and she makes a choice. Oh, I agree. I just think she's more entertaining yeah. to watch than everybody else's choices. I think the reason yeah. Wilt seems okay is because they took away almost all of his dialogue. Like, he has almost no dialogue in this. Just every once in a while, like, someone will go, where is this? He goes, it's there. Yeah. And that's about it. He doesn't, they don't even focus on his face very much. Just that awesome fucking spiked mace thing he uses. Uh, and how much taller he is than Olivia Diabo, which is like startling. Yeah. Like you could stack another Olivia Diabo on top of Olivia Diabo and she'd still be shorter than Will Chamberlain. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, she's like a princess that they, uh, Arnold, uh, Conan's made a deal to take her to find this, gem and then use the gem to find a horn and then use the horn for something yada 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 uh, and they'll bring his love from the first movie back to life of uh, valeria and uh, of course that's not going to happen because you know otherwise who's the villain and he's accompanied by the queen's sort of like right hand barbarian wilt chamberlain and he's got his wizard back from the first movie and and now like you said um uh, the thief is now tracy walter instead of the much more interesting guy from the first film yeah um look here's the thing about conan the destroyer for me personally i think it's still much better than almost all the conan imitators 
Right. Like, I, I was surprised by that on this visit. So, yeah. so in my mind, I was like, the reputation is it's garbage. Yeah. And in my mind's eye, I probably conflate it with Red Sonia, which is real crappy. Yes. And I was like, when I rewatched Destroyer this time, fresh off of Barbarian, and honestly, I saw Red Sonia maybe like a year and a half, two years ago, so it's still fresh enough. I was like, oh, this is better than, this is like on the level of like a crawl, or like, it's better than like the Ferrigno Hercules movies. Mm-hmm. It's It wasn't as bad as I remembered. It just doesn't compare to Barbarian. No, not at all. Yeah. Uh, did you ever see Cole the Conqueror? Oh, that's I hated that movie. I, I've never seen it, but yeah. I know it's it was a rework of the proposed third Conan script, the uh, Conan the Conqueror. It's terrible. Yeah, okay, I figured it's it was. It's a terrible movie. Or people would talk about yeah. it more. Yeah. <laughs> and, not, and not just because of Kevin Sorbo. They're still talking about King Conan. It's like once every three years, Arnold's like, yeah, we're, we're going back. We're looking at King Conan again. It He's feels like, a little now or never, right? Yeah, like, well, we're running out yeah. of time here. Yeah. Although, I mean, I think they can definitely refocus and go like, okay, but... Like, we're going to make it about, like, in the comics, we're going to start following Conan's son around for a while. And, yeah. and, and you know, the king comes back to the king who's still doing stuff, but the protagonist is his son. I mean, that seems like the only choice they'd have at this point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there are a lot of bonus features here with Arrow's new set. Um, and the Barbarian comes with three different cuts, theatrical, international, and extended cut, um, with uh, commentary by Milius and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, there is a... Uh, another commentary by Paul M. Salmon, who's, uh, knows the whole, he's just like one of those guys who knows everything there is to know about this movie. And then the, the isolated score track, because really the score is one of the things that people talk the most about this movie, because it's great. It's one of the all timers. Fa- it's weird. It's fantastic in Barbarian and in Destroyer. It's not as good, even though it's credited to the same composer. And I, it feels like the TV version, like Destroyer yeah. feels like the TV version of what was in Barbarian. Yeah. And I don't know whether, I, I would like to know the details about that. I should probably listen to the commentary sometime. <laughs> but it seemed to me like maybe they took his compositions and truncated them or reworked them to fit the edit. And it just doesn't sound the same. Like it, it's the same music without the same effect. Because it has, it is, it is like a character unto itself in barbarian like the score is yeah. so freaking good it's so great and it's the same but not i mean i could I totally to see it, it being like that. a party movie where you do that you're like isolated score track you're like here's the movie with all the dialogue taken out and just the great score yeah <laughs> uh there's also there's a second disc now that has uh the making of conan which is an archival documentary and then there's a whole bunch of believe it or not new stuff there's a ton of new interviews with the film's production concept artist with the costume designer um, the special effects technicians, um, the guy who played the young Conan in the film, now all grown up, they had, they had talked to him. Uh, the actor played the priest in the film, the film's assistant editor, uh, some of the VFX artists, uh, filmmaker Robert Eggers discussing how much influence it had on his movie, The North, North Man, which is self-evident when you watch The North Man, I thought. Uh, and then uh, the author of Conan the Barbarian, the official history of the film interview, um, and, and uh, author of the cinema of John Milius. And then there's a lot more archival pieces that have previously come from other things. 
compilations of, of interviews. There's a tribute to Basil Polidorus. It was originally part of a limited edition DVD with him conducting a suite of, uh, of the music, uh, which is like 47 minutes, which is kind of cool considering, like I said, how good the score is. I mean, there's a ton of shit, original promotional featurettes. There's three deleted scenes, um, special effects comparisons, uh, image galleries, uh, something I did not watch by, I'm curious, called Conan the Barbarian, the musical. In fact, I've seen a lot of this because I have previous editions of Conan, but I didn't see this because for some reason Arrow didn't send me the uh, bonus discs for these. Huh. I don't know why. They usually do. And I was like, God damn it. I mean, I'm happy just to get the movie to have a 4K copy of Conan, yeah. but it's like, why didn't you send me the other one? And then uh, Conan the Destroyer also has a bunch of extras. It's got four different commentaries, isolated score track, uh, casting it, um, an interview with the costume director, interview with the art director, interview with the stunt coordinator. Um uh, behind the Destroyer, which is the, the guy who wrote the Conan the Barbarian, the official history of the film, and then some archival featurettes. So, and you can get this as a two in one set, like just like one box. They said, or you can buy them separately. But really, I mean, it's solid, man. Like it, it's a they really put together the ultimate Conan package for fans. I know you and I both know people who bought this day one yeah. without even thinking twice about it for sure. Uh, now for people who are like like a different type of warrior. We've got the two for Burt Reynolds in the 70s and with his redneck hero <laughs> uh, starring in uh, White Lightning and Gator. Uh, his name, his nickname is Gator, but it's Bobby McCluskey. And I'd always heard of these movies, but mainly through Archer, who constantly, the show animated show Archer constantly references this, this character. Yeah. And this says that Gator is his favorite movie of all time. Uh, Gator is the sequel, by the way, the White Light Lightning. And I'm like, yeah, uh, maybe he just never saw White Lightning because <laughs> neither one of these are particularly great, but White Lightning's a lot better than Gator. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. This is another, this is another Conan, the Barbarian Conan, the Destroyer type, where it's like the first one is really primal and feels like it's about something and is really macho. And the second one is just like a comic book movie. I mean, again, neither one of them is really all that great. Anyway. I, I kind of liked White Lightning. Did you? Yeah. I, I was like, it's fine. I mean, you got Ned Beatty as the, the, the villainous, like, what was he, like the sheriff or something? I can't remember. Yeah, he's, he, yeah, basically it's this ex-con um, who is, uh, his his brother is killed for protesting the Vietnam War and in this podunk town that they're from and his brother is killed by law enforcement so he makes a deal with the feds um because law enforcement is also like drug running and running moonshine and stuff like that he makes a deal with the the feds that he can uh he can help them pin the corruption uh in this town and he's really doing it for his brother but he's also doing it for the feds right um and yeah, that's the plot of the first one. And then the second one is just like Burt Reynolds freaking <laughs> vanity project. And it's like completely different in tone, but it has the same actors. Yeah. And it's just like, it's like very, it reminded me of a lot of movies where the second one is so different from the first one. It reminded me a lot, to be honest, at first blush, of Beverly Hills Cop 1 and 2, which we've talked about on the show. Okay. Where you have the first one and then the person becomes a star. And the second one is like a star vehicle and is all about them. And they're, it's almost like it's self-aware in that Axel Foley in part one is like by the skin of his teeth and is almost like Bugs Bunny type. And you get to the second one 
and it's like, oh, he can do no wrong, and he's untouchable. Right. And he's the baddest even his co-stars are like, you're so cool, yeah. Axel. And it's like that's the thing with like White Lightning and Gator is like he's he he is a character in White Lightning, and in Gator, the first time he shows up, you're like, oh, it's just Burt Reynolds being Burt Reynolds. There's also an ugliness to Gator. There's some real gross like concept stuff like with like women who are being repeatedly raped and stuff yeah. or underage yeah. that you're like I, this is why is this and, in here? and the heroic characters brushing it off or laughing about it yeah that matters a race as well it's really yeah it's it's not the best i but i i do have to give it to white lightning i thought was like it it surprised me because i had heard of gator and had never heard of white lightning and so to me in my mind gator always had the better reputation yeah and i liked white lightning a lot and i sat down and was like oh cool if if White Lightning is this good, then Gator's going to be great because that's the one I'd heard of. And then I was like, oh, it immediately kind of sucked. Like it was so much bigger, broader, glossier, louder. Yeah. And it, it, but dumber. It, yes. I was just like, no. And I'm, it got to I'm the good. point, like outside of being kind of grossed out by it, it's kind of boring. Yeah. Um, the uh, White Lightning has some really solid car chase scenes and some stunts, but like I said, in the end. This is before Reynolds got his trademark sort of like, ah, smart, smart alecky, uh, like leading man, Smokey and the Bandit sort of persona, which I was to me who he was back then. Yeah. And they're, you know, I don't know. He's just kind of playing it a little more seriously, a little more down to earth. And these are both, they're fine, but will I ever watch them again? Almost certainly not. It's like the tonal difference. It's again, almost like First Blood, First Blood and Rambo, right? Uh-huh. It's like the first one. The opening credits are set to, it's like this grim opening credits set to his brother tied up on a boat and law enforcement in silhouette taking his brother out and shooting his brother in the head on this boat while the opening credits roll and it sets the tone and you're like, oh my God, like what is this movie? Like that's so grim. And then the opening credits of the second one are like, a gator, he lives in a swamp, and he blah, 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 it's gator. And he's and going like, around with, like, you know, basically, like, foiling, uh, like, cops who are essentially, like, Roscoe yeah, from it's the like, Dukes of Hazzard. Go, go, get, go, gator, bro. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. I was like, oh, it was immediate. Like, yeah. just, just from the opening credits, like, oh, this is not the same no. movie. No. Uh, and for bonus features, there's really only like two things, which are both set up, assuming you're getting both back to the Bayou parts one and parts two divided up, which is an older interview with Burt Reynolds talking about uh, these movies. So, yeah, um, it's a thing. I think Gator was uh, actually Burt Reynolds directorial debut as well. Mm. Yeah. So. Mm. I mean, I don't want to hurt hurt the man's feelings, but fortunately he's dead, so I won't. So, yeah, it sucked. Sorry, Bert. (laughs) Uh, Then we have a film that is probably known by more people than have actually seen it in a giant margin, which is Barbarella. Um, This was had so much influence on style and fashion just in really just in the real world. And it was influenced by style and fashion. Uh, and comic books were really influenced by it, and other movies were deep that you know and love were deeply influenced by it. But <laughs> the movie itself is kind of boring. I love <laughs> this I, movie. Do you? I find it. I've seen it tons. Of deeply times. dull. Movie. I mean, it's visually interesting, but that is it. That that the only really 
like wow sequence that like I've never seen anything like this is the opening credit sequence where you're like she's doing a strip tease taking off in zero G over the credits and it's not because of the nudity it's because it's a really cool scene yeah. it's neat the way it's done um but the rest of this I'm just like Jesus Christ this is like you know you've you've heard oh it's like a sex farce and that's what it is it's a it's a dumb sex farce and I it is not for me I've, this is the second time seeing it it's now out on 4K. Uh, and it's based on a comic book, pre-existing comic book series. Major director who at the time was, I believe, involved with Jane Fonda, Roger v- Vadim. Uh, yeah, it just doesn't work for me, man. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> I like all the, you know, it's it, it's got a, we would call it these days like retrofuturism. At the time, it was just plain futurism. Right. Now we look at it and it's like, oh, retrofuturism. So like her spaceship has like, bronze shag carpeting like wall to wall bronze like it's on the ceiling of the spaceship the whole interior is carpeted i don't know how you vacuum the sides but uh, you know her spaceship is all carpeted or like uh you know the whole plot of the movie is that she's sent to go rescue this scientist named duran duran and she experiences a series of tiny vignettes and adventures and each one uh, is like a key to her own sexual awakening right um I guess. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> I, the only thing I don't like about it is I find John Philip Law as like her main romantic interest, a total snooze, the big angel guy. Yeah. What yeah. a, no, nah, no, nah, forget him. Go back to the guy with the furs <laughs> on the doll planet with the big sled. Go back to him. He's or, cool. Or, uh, da- David Hemmings sucks. who looks like he's about to do something cool and then just kind of turns into a side character yeah you're like he's the leader of the resistance yeah yeah i remember yeah he he, he's this i like this movie now that said it's it's as groovy and as far out as it is and as far out i will it's it is um i may have seen it at a formative age i probably saw it when i was like 15 or 16 Uh uh-huh uh maybe before I lost my virginity. So what you're saying is there's scenes with tracking lines. And, and I will say that I thought to be, to be completely blunt about it. I was very disappointed in the overall quality of the 4k itself. Okay. Uh, I did not think it looked, you know, you get those sometimes where it's like, wow, I've never seen this movie before this way. Mm -hmm. And you get other 4ks where you're like, Oh, this is the blu-ray, but with stronger blacks. Okay. And I felt like this 4K was one where it's like, okay, yeah, I guess you're getting a little more color contrast, but it didn't feel like the night and day that you get from other 4Ks. And really, that's what I was looking for. Like, I was so hype about like, oh, this is going to look freaking great. And it was like, eh, it looks as good as it has in the past few years. Well, I mean, to be fair, it's a 4K restoration to Blu-ray. It's not a 4K per, per oh, se. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, like, that often, that what that presages is... Six months later, them releasing the actual 4K. Arrow is famous for doing this, where they're like, oh, we're first we're putting it out just on Blu-ray, even though we've clearly already finished the 4K restoration, yeah. just so we can double dip. You know, at least I guess so. But, um, I mean, I don't know. But that's, they seems like it happens a lot. And so, yeah, it's been all scanned in in 4K and everything. But, yeah, it'll, I'm I, sure once we get the actual 4K, 4K, it'll look better. It doesn't look bad. It just didn't, it didn't have that. You know that little extra oomph that you get when you when you when something gets that. I mean, and it's a film you expect that, like, because of it's more famous for its visuals than it is for its story, which is barely comprehensible. Um, How dare you? <laughs> oh, come on, it's not even How, a story. How really. dare you? It's just awful. Um, 
you'd expect them to make, try and make it really pop. And I didn't feel like it really popped either. Um, but there is a lot of extras here. There's a commentary by Tim Lucas. There's an isolated score track. Uh, there are alternate opening and closing credits. And then there's a whole second disc that's just packed with stuff like another girl, another planet, which is appreciation by Glenn Kenny, a Barbarella forever behind the scenes featurette, uh, that was shot in 1967. Um, there's a zoom like conversation between Tim Lucas and Steve Bissett, who are apparently just huge Barbarella fans. So it's just like, Hey, they're just raving about how much they like this garbage movie. And, oh, sorry, did I say garbage? I meant trash. <laughs> you meant this retro cult classic. <laughs> There's a, the costume designer, talking about the costume designer's contributions, which was a big, definitely the, one of the most influential things about the movie. Uh, a piece about the camera operator. Uh, yeah, and more. There's a lot here. If you like it, it's the best version of it that's out there, uh, but... You probably want to wait if you have an actual actual 4K player, because I'm telling you, they're going to re-release this in like six months with an actual 4K. Just so, I don't know. I hate it when they do that. Anyway, uh, next up we have The Last Tycoon. Now, this is one that I've been meaning to see for a very long time. Because it's uh, Eli Kazan, who's one of the most famous directors in Hollywood history. Uh, It's based on a, a Harold Pinter, one of the great writers uh, screenwriters. Uh, it's based on his screenplay, which is an adaptation of F. Scott Fitzgerald's unfinished novel, the same name. And you've got Robert De Niro, Tony Curtis, Robert Mitchum, Jack Nicholson, Donald Pleasance, John Moreau, Ter- uh, Teresa Russell, and Ingrid Bolting. And I'm like, this is an amazing cast with sort of like a, sort of a, you know, a movie, a Hollywood movie about Hollywood, but also it's kind of a crime story, you know, at the same time. Um, it's bland. And I've been warned it was bland, but boy, is it bland. Worse than Jungle Cruise. No, not worse than Jungle Cruise. This one's worse than Jungle Cruise. This was terrible. And if this movie didn't have these actors, it would be unwatchable. (laughs) This movie was so bad. You have this, like, everybody, they have this, like, super flowery, purple prose, melodramatic dialogue Mm -hmm. delivered by everybody in this, like, cold reading monotone. It's freaking awesome awful it's about De Niro plays like this guy who runs a studio that uh falls for one of the ingenues because and he's open about this he's open about this with the ingenue she reminds him of his dead wife yeah it's it was brutal this was this was I can't think of a movie I've seen with this star power that I thought sucked this much yeah it in a be, long time it really is remarkable how it's as just boring as and and dull just i'm falling asleep even thinking about just as dreadfully boring and uninteresting as it is considering the massive amount of star power on every both behind and in front of the camera i mean in this i think eli kazan never directed again after this either if i'm not mistaken it was his last movie yeah Uh, but he was alive for like 20 years after it so (laughs) i'm just saying maybe he was like at this point he was like look man i don't even want to do this fucking there's there's one thing and it's a casting gimmick that i thought for a little bit of time in the first 20 25 minutes i thought was interesting which is he has they cast all of these old Hollywood types as the actors that work for the studio and all of the execs and people like that are all the sort of modern, like post Brando new wave of actors who are more naturalistic in their performances. Mm -hmm. So I thought, Oh, that's an interesting contrast because then your, uh, John Barrymore's and your, uh, your, uh, Tony Curtis's are in scenes with De Niro. Uh, and it's like that, 
the contrast between acting styles to portray the idea that these are old actors and this guy is like a real guy that works at the studio. I thought that was kind of interesting from a gimmicky standpoint. <laughs> it but is again, gimmicky. Yes. I think everyone just like kind of talks like this and like just kind of says their lines like this. And the the women in it are really bad. Really yes. Bad. No, you're correct. Um, it was it was a very difficult watch. And again, just if this sh- if this starred John Smith, the last tycoon, <laughs> yeah, no one would ever Have seen, remember yeah. this movie. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think you're right. And there's a reason why even with that giant cast, it's one of those, like, when people discover it, they go, how come I've never heard of this? <laughs> and uh, like me, we're like, well, yeah. I don't care what anybody says. I, there's no way it's that bad. No way. W- way. There is way that's that bad. It's yeah. pretty bad. It's it's just, I I had to watch this over like th- three different times because oh, I kept just going, I, I can't keep, I'm just going to turn it off for now. I'll come back to it later when I'm feeling more engaged. And I was never engaged enough to enjoy it. So, eh. that's the last tycoon for you and the last, <laughs> like, Kazan film. Um, I, yeah. How did it happen? I don't know. It would be interesting to, to talk to someone who, who actually had strong opinions about it. I bet you there's got to be a book about it, right? Like, uh-huh. how did this movie fall apart this badly? Uh, but we're gonna move on to one that didn't fall apart bad- badly, despite not actually winning, getting nominated for a ton of Oscars and not winning any of them, which is the 1985 film The Color Purple, which is now available on 4K. And this is a movie that I completely loved when I saw it in theaters when it originally came out. It made oh, wow. me weep in all the right places. I mean, it's fucking Spielberg in the prime of his career, 1985. Um, like he's on top. Spielberg's on top of the world at this point of his career, and. He's going from movies that are just the biggest summer blockbusters of all time to films that are just being lavished with Oscars and Golden Globes loved. And I mean, smart move here, adapting a Pulitzer Prize winning novel anyway. But a lot of people were like, so the white dude's going to direct this movie about like one of the most famous black novels ever written. Um, and I think he did it with great verb and sensitivity. And apparently so did everybody else. Um, Whoopi Goldberg is probably who's pretty young at this point who plays the lead role she just knocks it out of the park here just absolutely and she like what the bulk of the awards it actually won for from various places were hers and well deservedly so but i miss her as an actress you know it's thinking about this and like ghost came out in 4k recently and was thinking like you know she settled into like sort of this talk show host thing and it's like yeah i kind of miss her she was I, so I feel like she still probably got good performance. She was so there. automatically likable, and and nobody like her. Like there's nobody else like Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah, no, I agree. I was a big fan of Jumping Jack Flash myself. Do yeah. you remember that one? I do remember that one. I I've seen that movie a lot. <laughs> I saw that movie once when yeah. I was a kid, and it was the first. This is like this. We may disagree more on this episode than ever, any episode ever in our history, but it was the first. You know, as a kid, you go to the movies, you pretty much like everything. Like, yay, I went to the movies. So, like, you you're almost predisposed to like everything and jumping Jack flash this one where it was like the first time as a child, I was like, I didn't like that. <laughs> Go back to it as an adult. It's also a rated R film. So yeah. like try it again. Cause I've rewatched it a couple times in the last few years. and went, you know what? This holds up for me. This is pretty funny stuff. All right. Uh, there's another one she did like right after that, that was, I was excited for, but that wasn't good. Like it was like burglar or something. Oh like yeah, that. yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Not very good. Anyway. Uh, yeah. She's the big lead here. Danny Glover playing Mr. The, her abusive husband. And he's also really tremendously good in this. 
Um, Oprah Winfrey in a role that also got a lot of attention playing Sophia, uh, the one, the, the woman who marries the, uh, Mr. Son, um, uh, Margaret Avery is probably the, one of the lesser known ones here, but she plays Sugar Avery, um, uh, there's smaller roles by Lawrence Fishburne and Ray, Ray Don Chong. I'm going to tell you, in rewatching it, I did really still find that this is kind of like about a 9 out of 10 movie. I think it's excellent. And I had just watched the musical, like not even a month ago. Yeah. Which I also really, I went into very cynical, but I was like, wow, I really like this a lot. And the best I can say is the musical spends much more time on the happier period of of Nettie's uh, of uh, Celie's life like after she gets away from Mr it that part is significantly expanded where she's like they're going out on the town and they're partying in their house and they're meeting all these cool people and jazzy people i'm like this the original version it's pretty short it's only like the last 20 minutes or so that yeah. you're like explore that and i i kind of as far as you know differences there that i prefer in the musical i definitely felt like after all the shit you've seen her go through you kind of deserve more of a happy time <laughs> the only the only you know i'm watching this and it's really really good and i think the only just like false note that spielberg hits i hate I hate the shot at the end where everybody is like, everybody is sort of like getting an ending and everybody's stories are concluding. And there's an insert shot of Mr. Nodding as if to say, ah, it all worked out in the end. And I'm like, no, go like it's get him out of the frame. Like I do not need a shot of him nodding going, ah, yes, it all worked out. And I'm just like, I don't know. Not from that character. I don't want to see him going like it's all, it all, it all came, it all well, got wrapped up. Partially because like in, in the book and as well as in the musical, his redemption arc is much lengthier mm-hmm. and it makes more sense here. It's just like him going. I did all right. Yeah, and <laughs> you I'm know? just like, no, man. But no. also as well, that you really see him suffer in the musical and in the book. Like every, like his crops won't grow, like all sorts of stuff. Like, like she, Seely literally cursed him. Yeah. And he's like, help. <laughs> but he goes to much greater lengths to do, to try and like, well, end the curse, but also really you feel that he has come to terms with he, he was a bad person and doesn't want to be that person anymore. I was surprised that was this is this 84 86 85 85 okay mm-hmm. I was 10 and I'm surprised that I I'm surprised my parents let me watch this. Mm-hmm. I was watching it now and I'm like, "Oh, this is incredibly adult." And like oh, yeah. I guess it was because it was Spielberg. It was like I mean, it's he sentimental, was a, but he was such a brand name. Yeah, but a lot of it has to do with sexual violence. Sure. And not even sexual violence. Sometimes it has to do with sexual longing. Like, especially growing up, as I did, like, in the church and stuff like that, homosexual sexual longing. Yeah. Which is, like, verboten. Yeah. And so I was really surprised at how much of that was in the movie. Because I hadn't seen it since the 80s. Mm. Uh, And I was like, oh, I can't believe they let me watch this as a kid. Um, It's not... (laughs) <laughs> it's not for children. Yeah, there's uh, incest. He has purple colors. In- Maybe he'll like this movie. There's incest color rape and and all sorts of stuff. But I mean, all that's off camera, and Herald it's not just dis- color purple <laughs> and the purple crown. Yeah. Um, uh, no, I mean, all that stuff. It's there, but it's very off camera, and it's bare. It's just discussed just enough to establish right. that it happened. Um, even like I said, the the gay subtext, which is explored much deeper in the the musical, again. It's really like a kid wouldn't understand what was happening. 
you know. Oh, I didn't. I was just like, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> Would just go and like, then, oh. like you hold on to you hold on to the things that you see as a kid where you're like, that's weird. Until you're old enough to get the knowledge to fill in those gaps and go, oh, okay, that's what that was. Oh, uh, so you still, like, <laughs> your number one porn site is twoblackwomankissing.com. No. <laughs> is that what, that what you're saying here? No. That was like your confusion led on to a whole history of, yeah. No. It's your Pornhub name. All right. <laughs> Next film. Oh, sorry. Uh, this just comes with the the extras from the 2011 Blu-ray, which have been ported over except for the photo galleries. Um which, you know, there's a decent amount of stuff here. It's about a well of a, a de- decent amount over an hour of stuff. Um, and of course, a look at the musical, which is unsurprising because they were put this out right around oh, the same time. To, like corporate synergy. Yeah. Well, I mean, they put this out on 4K right around the same time the musical was coming out and they're like, hey, go see this. I it, mean, the I musical trailers, that was the, the big thing for me was like in my memory of what Color Purple was, I, I remembered a lot of it, to be fair, like. It was a movie that apparently, like, you know, you're talking Spielberg, so the the clarity of the storytelling and the strength of the images carried with me throughout the decades. So even rewatching it now, it was deeper context because I'm an adult, Mm. but I remembered a lot of it. And one of the things is seeing the trailer for the musical the first time and going like, is that the movie? Because I don't remember that being the movie. Like, I don't remember it being like uh, two hours of it being like a big hoedown in a swamp shack. Like, like because the <laughs> there trailers, is a lot of there is a lot the of trailers really sell that over anything else. Well, I mean, as you might imagine, because like you're making a musical, you're going to emphasize certain elements of the story more, right? Yeah. And so there's a lot more in the the swamp shack, a lot more partying going on because you're like, hey, it's an excuse for a big musical number. Yeah. Uh, same as why I think there's a lot more of her happy years because. You know, it's a lot harder to do songs about being raped by your dad than yeah. it is to do about I'm free and happy and oh my God, look at jazz music. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but next up we have Face Off on 4K. And man, I got to tell you, John, first off, this is one of my all time faves. And I get that it's stupid. I get it. It's fine. I know people who like, I'm baffled by why anyone likes this movie. I know people who are like that. I, I can't, I can't really completely explain to you why other films that are just as dumb as this i can't stand and why this one is i i could just watch it over and over again except just everything comes together perfectly and it wouldn't have worked without nicholas cage and john travolta like they both understood the assignment and are (laughs) playing it on so many i mean they're literally playing on so many levels like it's nicholas cage playing john travolta playing nicholas cage and vice versa yeah. That's crazy. That's a crazy acting assignment. And yeah. the director is well aware of all the levels as well and uses it really visually neatly with the, especially the famous scene of them on either side of a mirror pointing guns at each other, but at themselves. Like, that's great. But it's John Woo. And if John Woo's Americans films, this is like, for me, that's, this is the absolute top. Like, like Broken Arrow is probably second, but like, man, this, this shit is crazy. <laughs> and it's just fun. Man, when John Travolta is like, when, when his daughter, like, he has to pull the kid out of the car, of like, not his daughter, but his daughter, and then gives her a butterfly knife. <laughs> that shit is awesome. Yeah. Uh, I love this movie to death, and my, I couldn't be more pleased to tell you that the 4K, this is one of the best looking 4Ks I've seen in a long time. Nice. It's spectacular, as well as the, the sound remix they did on it. It just, it's great. This, I'm going to rewatch it even more now. I agree with you. I I find it uh, a 
uh, just a scooch too long, just a little. It just feels it, it is a long. long. Like it's it runs right over two hours, I think. And you, I think you feel that right as it gets into that last thirty minute stretch. I'm like, okay, wrap it up, guys. Yeah, like, but bring some it of the home. best stuff happens in the last thirty minutes. Yeah, it's just I think it needs. To, I don't know, man. It just feels a little long. It's a little, you know. It's the it's the perfect kind of corny where. If I, it, I have waffled on it over the years because sometimes it's corniness I'm, I'm accepting of, and sometimes I'm not in the mood for. Yeah. You got to be in the mood for face off period. Yeah, Yeah. And it's like, so I have, I have gone back and forth over the years where it's like, I'll watch it and be like, that was really good. And then watch it and be like, I don't know why I liked that so much. And then watch it again and be like, that was really good. <laughs> um, and I think it just has to do with mood, right? Because yeah. the movie is the same. I think it just has to do with like, what mood am I in at the time? Because yeah. you have to, you have to sort of like be really comfortable with a lot of like, uh, like some degree of like '90s action movie excess, mm-hmm. um, and on- honestly, just some like cornball stuff like the rubbing of the faces yeah uh the constant like signature move that no human being on earth does to say hello or goodbye right which is to paintbrush somebody's face with the, yeah. with the first four fingers of your hand yeah nobody does that yeah but they do all the characters do well, they I do mean, it over and over they needed to have that signal so we we would the character yeah. would know who was who at some point i get it and sometimes but, i'm in the mood for that and sometimes i'm not i mean the only moment in this film that always i go oh God, here it comes i don't i don't like this is when they go you mean take his face off he's like yes his face off like we know the movie's called face off you don't have to actually say it (laughs) maybe the movie wasn't called face off maybe it was called something else and they were like you know what was a good line that face off line (laughs) you know the part where they're talking about taking their faces off let's just call it that (laughs) there's like some little bitty like i think people don't think of it it's like sci-fi adjacent and it's not just in the face-off technology of like we're gonna remove this person's face and put this person's face on there's also like other weird sci-fi elements like the magnet boots in the yeah. prison yeah that are like feel like they're from like there's fortress. like elements of this <laughs> movie that are like near future but the movie's directed very like no this is the world we live in now right like the movie just plainly feels like oh this is just the present day of yeah. the 90s and it's like, no, there's weird shit in here. Like, there's like, <laughs> and not just the face stuff. There's like oddball stuff in here. Yeah. No, I agree with you. It's like an alternate present. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I just have fun with it almost every time I watch it. And this is weird that I had just rewatched this, but um, the only copy I had on DVD, like not even six months ago. I was yeah. like, just in the mood to watch it. I was thinking about it. I was like, you know what? I'm going to fucking watch Face Off. Had a great time. And then like... <laughs> few months later oh here's the 4k i'm like hmm, am i gonna enjoy it watching it again this soon after seeing it last time and the answer is yes yes I summer did. 96 when when, when it came, came out? out uh that is a good question like i feel like 1997 like, oh okay so it was the con air summer not the rocks mm-hmm. okay uh yeah con air is one i need to go back and revisit i've never watched it again because i was mixed on it like eh, it was fine in the theater but everyone else seems to think it's like a stone cold classic so i feel like at some point i got to give it a second chance and go see it again i think i think it's a joke like yeah? i i have a sneaking suspicion and i've had this like nagging feeling over the years and i want to rewatch it but i think it's i think it's stealth parody 
released as actual Bruckheimer Simpson product. Okay. But that it's but that it's stealth like I mean oh, you could say that about we the know rock. this is crap. You but could... I don't think that the rock is crap. No, like, I don't think it is either, but I think that it has a similar tone. Yeah. Of like just sort of constantly winking at the camera. You know, yeah. uh and like going, No, it's not James Bond. It's James Bond. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. I'm uh, not sure that I'm not sure that anybody is supposed to take any part of Con Air as a serious action movie. And to the point that I I have a feeling I don't know, man. I don't know. We're not talking about Con yeah. Air now, but like even the title, the fact that it's named after a hairdryer. Yeah. <laughs> like I like, is it a movie where Scott Rose is it Scott Rosenberg was the screenwriter of that? Where he know. was like in a hotel? And saw that the hairdryer said Con Air and He's was like, like oh. Con Air, huh? Oh, what if there was like a whole airline full of cons? How do I write that? Okay. And then like working backwards from there. Isn't that how every script was written in the 90s? <laughs> <laughs> like, it would not surprise me. Uh, Malkovich's weird like Wiley Coyote death where it's like he's shot and thrown through a building and then like he, it's just like he gets a succession of things that would have killed a person. And they all happen to him one after the other, after the other, after the other. <laughs> Anyways, oh. uh, that's, that's a different movie. I, yeah. But, I haven't, like I said, face off is good too. <laughs> face off is, well, it's much better. Face off is better. Uh, so this, the 4k comes with three, uh, commentaries. And one of them is a brand new commentary with, uh, two critics, Mike leader and Arn Venema. Uh, and then commentary two is uh, commentary two is John Wu and writers Mike Werb and Michael Caleri. Uh, the third one is archival with uh, just Werb and Caleri that was made for the tenth anniversary of Face Off. Um, there's also seven deleted and alter- alternate scenes. There's a archival uh, making a Face Off that's about sixty five minutes. There's a uh, archival John Wu a life in pictures. It's about twenty seven minutes. That's about it. I mean, sure, this should have been Criterion with a lot more on it because come on. <laughs> they put out the rock and armageddon they could put out this one yeah i'm just saying uh our last movie i hate to disappoint you guys we're not exactly going out with a bang but with a whimper is the exorcist believer oh. because i will be startled to hear john say anything good about this movie um it's in focus it's in focus most <laughs> of the time uh, i had heard bad things well, I mean, everybody has. This is the new Exorcist film. It just came out directed by David Gordon Green, who did the Halloween, last three Halloween films, which have had very mixed. I know, I know everything from people who just adore them and love them and watch them over and over again to people who would prefer that every print be burned of all three. Um, I kind of fall in the middle. <laughs> I'm like, there's parts I like. And to be fair, they're better than most of the actual <laughs> Halloween yeah. sequels, but. You know, I mean, nothing has ever come close to the original, but the exorcist, I'm like, there have been a lot of good exorcism movies that have come out in my opinion. Uh, the taking of Deborah Logan and uh, the exorcism of Emily Rose and, um, uh, the last exorcism. I have enjoyed all these films. Is is a demon possession movie. Just talking demon possession. Um, so why is it that none of the Exorcist sequels post three have been able to get it right? And you've had some big heavy hitters directing some of those Exorcist sequels. Well, the Exorcist Believer continues the fine tradition of completely putting your dick in the dirt when making Exorcist sequels and having no idea how to handle this property. Uh, the only thing that's come close is the television series, which was actually pretty damn good. And what, of course they canceled it because no one was watching it. Yeah. Uh, so this movie, these, uh, these two girls get possessed and th- then the father's 
pull in a bunch of people of different faiths to like try to work on the exorcism and like yeah, covering their they, bets. <laughs> they do like a terrible final girl BS with like Ellen Burstyn returning as Chris McNeil. Oh my like, god, with one of the worst with, lines like, ever. The, this terrible, like foundationally terrible idea of like taking a character who lived through it all and having them appear in this film and be super namby-pamby about religion and faith yeah. and be like, well, what if you believe it to be true, I guess it can be. And it's like, what are you kidding me? Like you saw you, like you lived through it and you're just like, whatever you believe, <laughs> I guess, shrug. Right. I'm just like, what is this bull Well, crap? their excuse is, How well, can- I didn't actually see a lot of it because they didn't let me in the room because misogyny. And I was like, I, I just, I couldn't believe what I was hearing in the movie. I was just like, this was, this is how you got around to the point to where you wanted this movie to go by putting in this little bit with her. I just baffled by it. It's like someone wrote those words. You have this thing where you have a, a central conceit that they want. There's two basically conceits that they want to explore. One is, can we do aliens with, exorcist and basically go and now it's two there's two right two possessed girls (laughs) it's like no quantity of like possessed girls makes the movie any scarier yeah so like upping it from one to two and doing all the same old shit you did in the first one doesn't make it any scarier so then your other conceit is what if a what if the avengers of religions all showed up in a room (laughs) to do an exorcist together where you have like somebody representing every possible faith great idea david gordon green but then you don't get into the semantics or the the beliefs or anything having to do with those faiths. It's also, excuse me, bullshit surface level where even your main like evangelical guy mm-hmm. is getting like a voodoo person to come in and also <laughs> try their stuff. And I'm like, this character makes no sense. None of these characters make any sense. And you have this thing where it's like, if you're going to get into it, if you're really going to get into it, there's another version of this movie where, yeah, a bunch of different people from different faiths gather in a room and none of them can freaking agree with each other on how to get this done. And things continue to get worse and worse and worse because their beliefs are all at odds with each other. Right. But instead, you have this thing where it's like all these people of different faiths get in the room and take turns going, now I'll pray for her and now right. I'll do something. Now I'll do this. And it's like, but it's all generic. Like, it's all generic exorcist stuff like even though it's supposed to be well this person's a catholic and this person's an uh, evangelical and this person's a voodoo person and this person's a non-believer and it's like then you don't get into their beliefs and they're non-characters like they're just there to support the they're just there to support the tent of this idea of what if a bunch of different faiths got in one room yeah great but give them faiths they don't have any faiths it's all it's all like stock characters and BS and I mean it doesn't so it doesn't even matter that they're from other no, religions it doesn't. in the film. They could be because they don't group of do people. anything. Yeah, exactly. They don't there's no there's no foundational understanding of who they are and what they believe. Yeah. It it's just throw it against the wall and see what's it's as namby pamby as the Chris McNeil response of like, Well, if you believe, I guess whatever works, let me throw my hands up. It's just like I could not I could not I I there's like 15 or 20 minutes at the beginning of this movie where the pacing and the way that it's the, the way it is specifically cut it's like oh they're doing a freaking impersonation and it lasts for about 20 minutes and then it stops mm-hmm. 
And it's like, I was like, oh, this is actually, this is kind of starting more interesting because I can see they're doing like an imitation. But they're doing like a really keen imitation where they're like, the rhythms, sound design, the way shots are composed, we're going to try to copy what Friedkin did with Exorcist. And then that goes away. It just mm-hmm. doesn't gradually go away. It's sort of just gone. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes this other thing about these two possessed girls and a bunch of adults that don't know what the hell to do. And it's... Do they also so, forget to make anything scary happen in It's it? so crappy. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing scary that happens. It's just Very so few even attempts crappy. to do scary stuff. And like, I... We did Exorcist 2 on the show. Mm-hmm. Exorcist 2 sucks. Yeah. But Exorcist 2 is... At least you can crappy see, and interesting. At least you can and see what the, they're aiming for. The Schrader and the Rennie Harlan versions of the fourth Exorcist movie. Exorcist 3 people liked. Yeah. Exorcist 3 has been redeemed in the eyes of horror fans. People like Exorcist 3. I'm not going to talk about Exorcist 3. I'm going to talk about the shit ones. <laughs> Exorcist 2. Still super bizarre. Yeah. Super weird. Locust King. Like, all that stuff is, like, so out there. It's out there, okay? <laughs> There's all the weird stuff at the beginning with the Psychological Institute, like, studying Linda Blair character. The science of possession. Yeah. There's It's it's not good, but it's interesting. Yeah. I think that Harlan and Schrader's are not good and interesting. Mm-hmm. I like the reverse arc in those of what if someone uh, in The Exorcist is like, what if someone of faith lost their faith over the course of the time? When faced with evil, they lose their faith. And in, in the Schrader and the Harlan versions of the fourth exorcist, both of them have the same arc of what if somebody who is struggling with their faith is faced with actual evil and it bolters their faith and Mm -hmm. it makes them go, Oh crap. Now I really believe because I've been faced with something. And I'm like, that's interesting. That's a character from Fright Night. (laughs) It's like, and they, and the things that they deal with and they're like dealing both the Harlan and Schrader ones deal with wartime atrocity and like, how can there be a loving God if I'm seeing what I'm seeing? So the erosion of their faith makes sense. There's still characterization in those movies. Mm Mm-hmm. So there's something. There's something there. Is it scary? No, they're not scary. No, they're not very good. But they're trying to be about something. something. This is like nothing. It was nothing. Yeah. I was so, (laughs) obviously, I was so upset by how crappy this was. I did not anticipate what a swing and a miss, nothing, not even a swing. What is it? Like there wasn't a swing. No. It's like, it's just like, it's like somebody, I, I don't. Uh, no analogies. All right. <laughs> wow, this broke John. It's so crappy. Yeah. It was so unexpectedly crappy. This is our anti pick of the week. I think even <laughs> it you see something you see things that are bad, so bad sometimes that they make you like angry, mm-hmm. right? Like where it's just like, what is this? Like, did you think that people would like this at all? Did you think you did a good job? Like <laughs> it's so bad. Yeah. I agree. We're on the same page. It's terrible. It's not scary, and it barely tries to be scary. It's not presenting anything interesting or new to this. You don't other see than, anything new. There's like nothing I, you haven't like seen said, in other like You're going, smokes. ooh, they're putting together these people with a religion. Uh, but that's it. Just a suggestion we're the doing idea. this. And other than that, they don't do anything with it at all. There's no ideological discussions. It's, it's just boring, and it's a waste of, of uh, Ellen Burstyn and Linda Blair in a very brief appearance towards the end. Like, Why? I, they got a they got a Jamie Lee Curtis or they got a final girl girl her and yeah. and be like oh look who's back and I and even that is not cool like that was so just the way it was structured and presented and everything was just so like 
like really it's just a total misunderstanding of what the exorcist is in horror and how it is no resemblance to halloween it's a completely different animal and i think they're treating it like they were treating halloween as if all horror movies are the same like i i just completely baffled by no, this. Not here for Exorcist the Believer. Uh, there are some bonus features, but who gives a shit? Because I can't imagine anyone spending money on this movie. Uh, sorry, I'm glad they send me stuff. I apologize. But uh, yeah, there's uh, there's a, a few bonus features, EPKs and stuff, interviewing like Jason Blum and David Gordon Green and uh, a few of the actors and, you know. And there's a feature commentary with the director, executive producer, the co-writer, and special makeup effects designer. I'm not sure why, uh, but yeah. So what we I and, mean, and this was like part of a part of a purchase, right? So like Universal bought the Exorcist franchise for from an enormous from amount Warner of Brothers. money. I forget what it was. It was just a ridiculous amount of money, and this was the first of three planned films. From apparently now that trilogy is officially canceled. I think I had heard when it was released though that that it was chopped to hell. That mm. it was focus it was focus grouped, test screened, and and mangled to hell. And maybe it was because I like Danny McBride, mm. David Gordon Green. I can give or take, but I like yeah. I tend to like Danny McBride. I, um, I go either way with both of them personally. Um, but uh, yeah, I maybe these aren't the guys the saviors of horror that some of you guys were saying that they were i was never saying that but some people were they, they, <laughs> they made, said it about rob zombie too before they saw his movies they made a good halloween yeah they I made like, it i like the first it of was, the three there's parts in all of them i really like and there's parts in all of them i really hate they're just okay yeah yeah um anyway our pick of the week i i think we're going with the box set of conan the barbarian and conan the destroyer right i'm running through my head the only other ones that you really liked, you like Barbarella, but you admitted it's not really much of an upgrade. Yeah. Uh, we both like Color Purple, but there's not anything extra really in there that wasn't there before. Um, we both like Face Off, and yeah. I spectacularly like the the transfer, but there's also not really a lot extra extra features there. Um, whereas there's a ton yeah, of Conan's, new stuff. The, with Conan the Conan set is probably pretty definitive, yeah. honestly. Like there, there's not going to, you know, there's certain choices on here as good as they are. Like even color purple, as good as it is, it, it does not feel like a definitive version in regards to special features and things like that. I think Conan is really yeah. like Conan as far as home video releases is like, it's the, a the, s- solid package. Yeah. The one that you won't be upgrading for 15, 20 years. Agreed. Um, and so what was the Disney ride pick of the month? Uh, it was Last Tycoon was worse than uh, Jungle Cruise. <laughs> I suppose. But you never did say what your favorite ride was. Oh, my favorite ride is Guardians. Okay. My yeah. favorite. It was the same as yours. It's my a, favorite ride is Guardians. It's a and, ma- and Tron is like Diet Guardians. Okay. Tron was like a little less... Uh, Guardians is kind of wild. Like you don't know what's going to happen. And when you're on it, you feel out of control. Mm. Like, oh my God, where are we going? What's happening next? Yeah. And uh, Tron did not have that same unpredictability. Right. Um, but it was the same style ride where it's like, oh, you're in the dark and oh, you're in an environment. They shoot you outside for a little bit. But uh, but yeah. But Guardians. lots of video screens with stuff going on yeah, around yeah, yeah. you. Fair yeah, enough. Guardians. Uh, and we'll hear back from John on part two of his Disney adventures. <laughs> I'll be back on before then. 